With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Trey Strelko. Welcome to the Sons of UCF Live, joined, as always, by the dynamic duo. Hello, Adam and Mike. Uh, hi, Trace. Um, Mike, What uh, are you okay? Yeah, I think I started something new. You know, Collinsworth has that slide in or whatever. I just had a new thing, the spin, to join the show. What do you think? <laughs> uh, loving it. Loving yeah. it. Yeah, Good. loving well. it. Uh, yeah. good, good to have you with us, uh, yeah. Mike. Uh, good good to also to see head coach Gus Malzahn back this week. Uh, we've been following that story for several weeks. Coach Malzahn uh, addressing the media, meeting with his team. It's been several weeks. Positive news. His wife, Christy, back home from the hospital. Good to hear from Coach Malzahn. And you could tell he was glad to be back in his element. Yeah, I mean, just good to see Coach again. Obviously, the the things he's been going through personally, um, you have to feel for him trying to balance priorities of life and work and everything in between. Um, so good to be back. I, I assume I hope for him sometimes getting back into a normal routine and talking about things normally again helps a little bit. So uh, I guess the best news out of that press conference isn't about transfers and it isn't about scheduling. It isn't about anything else other than he's back and his wife is doing better. And I think that's the best news any any night fans had these last couple of weeks. It's good to have the main guy back, though. It's got to feel good for everybody else in the program, the football team. Things feel a little bit more normal now with the head coach back in place, doing the press conferences, things like that. I think everybody feels a little bit better. You know, Coach Malzahn doesn't really give you much in these press conferences. He's better than Coach Heupel was, certainly. But if you parse his words and you find some things, I keep thinking it's going to be an interesting quarterback battle as we get ready for spring camp in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, obviously, John Rice Plumley did not come here to sit around and, and not uh, compete. Uh, we know Mikey Keene had a, a relatively 
solid freshman season. But I, I think, you know, he said it in uh, in the press conference, Trace, which is competition and having more competition is good. He was referring to kicking at that point. But I think the same comment holds true about the quarterback play. Maybe this elevates Mikey Keene's play. Maybe this gets Mikey into the weight room this offseason. Maybe he works a little bit on that throwing motion. Uh, and, and obviously, JRP brings a new wrinkle, but he's playing baseball, as we learned. He's hopefully going to play baseball, as we learned. So how does that help his development? I think you're setting it up for a, a nice uh, fodder for us podcasters over the next couple of months to have something to talk about every week. Because outside of that, we're, we're stuck with Mike spinning his chair. So the competition <laughs> helps out uh, from that standpoint, at least. If I'm Mikey Keene, I'm happy that this guy's going to play baseball. It gives me an opportunity, even more reps and more opportunities to impress the coaching staff and set myself even further apart from these guys, learning the playbook, getting more comfortable with the receivers. That's something Plumlee's going to miss out on playing baseball. I understand he loves playing baseball. I can't argue with him there, but that's going to hurt him in the long run when it comes down to fall camp. Well, when he spoke with the media recently, he said that he was balancing all of it. And of course, Coach Greg Lovelady, UCF baseball head coach, said that the NCAA has not yet approved the waiver. So he's practicing with the team, but no waiver that he'll actually be a part of the team. At one point, Coach Malzahn used a phrase talking about you can never have enough quality depth. When it came to my turn to ask a question, I said, but are you satisfied with your depth? And he interjected quality depth. Uh, which I thought was interesting. And he talked about that quality depth in the quarterback room. I mean, you know, you look at what Mikey did last year and he, he was learning on the go and uh, he did a wonderful job. And and uh, then the two two new guys coming in and uh, Parker did some good things with his feet. Joey played a little, I mean, like, so it, it's going to be exciting spring and exciting fall. Joey's a guy. <laughs> Parker has feet. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, Joey, Joey played. Yeah. I, I don't think he finished. It was a non sequitur to the next thought there. But it's interesting. So if you had to think about this from a bigger picture, he also talked in that presser, not not in this clip that you, we played tonight, Trace, how he recruited uh, John Rice Pumley at Auburn, went after him hard, wanted him as a quarterback. He saw what he did in the SEC. He was very, very effusive uh, in his praise of that. He did not recruit Mikey Keene. Mikey kind of got thrown into the fire. I don't know if he should read anything into that. I don't know if that's a tell, but he, he definitely was was very um, upfront about having a lot of familiarity with JRP. Not saying that's the leader in the clubhouse, but Gus obviously sees something that he says, this guy can help my team. How that manifests will be interesting, but I don't know that I'm giving him the nod, but if you read between the lines, Gus wanted him before, wanted him again, got him it's going to be hard to tell me that he's not going to find a way to use him. Gus has always liked his quarterbacks to be able to run, right? Historically, his teams in Auburn, Cam Newton, guys like that, that, that just fits his system better. Even when he doesn't have a quarterback that can run, he has a wild night quarterback that he brings in to run. It was Gatewood last year. It was Parker Navarro there at the goal line towards the end of the year. So Plumlee fits the system better, but and it doesn't matter that Keen wasn't his guy. Keen is – the guy that has the experience here right now, and he's number one in the clubhouse for me right now. Uh, Mikey Keene is number one for you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's still interesting to see how much John Rice Pumley, his ability to throw. Uh, there's no doubt he's going to be a part of the offense, and we know he can run. Can he beat out Mikey for that starter role? I saw a comment, I think it was Jason earlier, saying uh, his money's on Thomas uh, Castellanos. For this season, I'd ask Jason, does he mean he's going to win the battle 
this season and that we're going to go with a true freshman in the fall. I, I, it's hard for me to see that. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Castellano seems like a really good prospect, good player. I, I would think that he's firmly in the third position as you think about these three, at least as it stands today. But to be fair, you get on the field, you never know what happens. We all would have thought it was crazy to think that one by the name of Dylan Gabriel would have started in that 2019 season because we would have probably assumed that either Brandon Winbush or Daryl Mack would have had that spot. And out of nowhere, here comes DG. So I guess you never say it's impossible. You would think it's a, a bit of a longer road ahead. That's probably a bridge too long, but nothing's impossible, unfortunately, or fortunately in football. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Go back to the 2010-2011 season. We thought for sure Godfrey was going to be the guy for the next four years at quarterback, right? Winning the conference championship his freshman year. And then by the second year, he's not even starting every game anymore. So who knows what's going to happen after this year? Yeah, there's going to be several position battles that are going to be interesting to play out during spring camp. Of course, we're going to get 10 minutes every couple of weeks, so we're not going to really learn anything. We'll parse all of that video, though. We've been talking about the defense the last couple of weeks. Uh, I want to shift over talking about the linebackers. I asked, how do you grade the linebackers from 2021? 67% said good. 27% said fair. No votes for excellent. I thought an interesting question came in the mailbag, but appropriate for this. Mary uh, Ashbaugh 6 asked, are there any other linebackers who are not uh, looking at uh, that could transfer in right now. She said, uh, do we need more depth there? And uh, that is interesting. You know, UCF has lost some of those players that you would have thought would have been a part of this team, mainly Tatum Bethune. Yeah, re referencing the portal, I mean, yes now and probably yes again after spring uh, spring camp. I think there's more opportunity for that. Uh, the depth there is probably a little lighter than we would want it to be. Um, we have some guys coming in and, and Terrence Lewis and Katie McDaniel uh, transfers from uh, from other schools, although Lewis has not yet stepped foot on the on the field uh, in his college career. Two kids that UCF was really high on it and Quade Mosier and Cole Joyce haven't played a ton. So the, it's it's thin. It's inexperienced at that position. So my suspicion would be if somebody pops in the portal, T. Will, the linebackers coach also, by the way, will certainly have uh, those folks on speed dial for phone calls. You look at the roster right now, Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste is really the only name coming back that we're familiar with. The other guys you mentioned have been there, but we haven't seen them play. I like the, the true freshmen coming in, Cam Moore, TJ Bullard. Maybe these guys get a shot to get some playing time. Yeah, it does, though, if you're looking at the defense. We talked about the D-line last week. Look at the secondary next week. It does seem the thinnest position group, though, as you go into spring camp in a couple of weeks. It does. What's interesting, though, is UCF's been playing a bit of a, uh, a, a two-linebacker set and more five, uh, five defensive backs. So do we only need two of these guys? I mean, I'm not sure exactly how T. Will will, will place that last year or this year. Rather, last year we had the uh, – what was that? The night position, which was Bryson Armstrong, and then transitioned into um, Justin Hodges. So perhaps that's the same play this year, and you need two of this group that's on the screen right now to, to step in. Obviously, JJB being one of those pr uh, primarily, but really the next you know four or five guys up for the other spot. Um, but then you, you have a team like Navy, you have a team that runs the football a ton. And obviously we don't always play Navy every year, but that's where you need more depth in the linebacker spot. So this is certainly the thinnest group that we've gone through thus far. And I would think that not all spots were filled. Um, there was a lot of conversation. T will specifically said last week at the signing day press conference that you keep some spots available for other guys down the road. I think that's a, a fortuitous comment thinking through um, what he may look at, particularly when it relates to linebacker. And though we only, only may have two guys on the field at a time, we're going to need four or five guys ready to play rotating in. These guys cannot play every snap. 
And then, you know, um, injuries. Injuries happen all the time. We may lose one of these guys early in the year, and then what? We, so we're going to need a mix of all these guys, the transfers, the incoming freshmen, and the returning guys. We may lose guys? Does that happen? It couldn't possibly happen again in back-to-back years, right, like it did in 21? I mean, we. <laughs> this is a wild, wild west of college football. It's only anything's possible. You can wake up tomorrow and see three guys in the portal. So who the heck knows? <laughs> That's fair. It is fair. Uh, and, of course, uh, who better to talk about linebackers than a former UCF linebacker? Antoine Poe joins us now on the Sons of UCF Live. Antoine, welcome in this evening. Hey, how you doing? Can you hear me? Can hear you just fine. Welcome in. We're talking about the linebackers. UCF has lost some guys, namely Tatum Bethune. You heard Coach Malzahn at his presser this week say you can never have enough quality depth. It looks like this position group, though, a little thin, maybe yeah. going into 2022. Yeah, they're looking pretty thin and young. A lot of guys don't have as much experience as the guys that we had left, like uh, Bethune's gone, and you had Gilliard who left. They kind of... Um, put us in a bind right here, but we still got a lot of talent coming in, like with the Cam Moores, the TJ Bullets. Uh, Terrence Lewis is another one that kind of stands out to me. He's supposed to be in a five-star, and I'm looking forward to see what he can uh, do for us. And then you got Katie McDaniels coming in, but then you also got uh, Bryson Armstrong, who's played some. He seems like he's a pretty experienced guy. And uh, Jeremiah Jean Baptiste, who's going to provide the leadership for the defense because he's played a lot more ball than most of the guys. So, yeah. I like your hat, by the way. Yeah, I love it. I need another <laughs> What's surprising about the hat is that Mike and Adam, Mike in particular, promises them to a lot of people, and you actually have yeah. one of them. So anybody watching now that was promised a hat by Mike is wondering Sorry. where their hat has gone. Yeah, Mike said this to me a while back. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you, it looks good on you, man. And everybody on the screen is wearing one except for Trace. So I, don't ah, I missed the, the guy. Memo. Got the shirt. The most. Got the shirt. Yeah. Antoine, you mentioned some of the young guys, particularly the true freshmen and uh, TJ Bullard and Cam Moore. From your experience, obviously playing linebacker, how hard is it for a true freshman to step off a high school football field right on to college and compete, particularly as a linebacker? Obviously, size, speed, strength. Do, do you think it's plausible that these kids can play nowadays as true freshmen? Uh, yeah, I did it. Uh, my freshman year, I played a lot. Like, uh, I, I, I earned my time on the field. You just got to have that dog in you, man. Like, if you got dog in you, you're going to see the field. You can't that you can't deny a dog. You're going to try to get that kid on the field to get that experience as much as possible until he develops and matures enough to where he can be out there with more time. But I think some of these guys got some dog in them, and you're going to see them out on the field. So what? What's the biggest learning curve, though, coming from high school to uh, to college as a true freshman? What's the biggest thing that they have to kind of learn quickly to, or, in order to compete? Well, understanding what's going on around you, being able to understand schemes and uh, checks and all that, because that was kind of like a difficult thing for me when I first started out uh, as a freshman. I kind of was a guy that was flying around. I was a C-ball, hit-ball. That was what uh, Coach Chizik called me because – for one, I hadn't I hadn't had a lot of experience uh, playing linebacker. I had, that was like literally my second year playing linebacker in my life, and when I got to college, because I was a running back and I played some defense in. They kind of moved me all over the place in high school, but I really didn't understand defense as a whole. I, I started to gain my knowledge about defense when I got to college, and it didn't click for me until my junior year. So, 
just understanding the defense and knowing what's going on. And today, in this day and age, these kids have a lot more knowledge than what we did back then. Cause like some people like, Hey, get out there and go and hit. But now these kids are a bit more educated about what's going on on the field. So the learning curve may be uh, the, the window may be small for them because these guys learn fast. When you're evaluating linebackers, you're watching these guys play. What are the characteristics or the traits that you look for to make up a really good linebacker? Somebody who never gives up. Like if you if you can be out on the field, if you if it's a blown coverage or a blown play, what covers that up is effort. If you got a lot of effort, if you miss a tackle, but you're bouncing up and you're still flying around uh, on the field trying to find hunt, hunting for the ball, that's going to cover up anything. Just that, that that effort. Like I said, dog. You talked, uh, as Adam asked you, about the freshmen coming in, a couple of transfers coming in as well. Same advice, though, basically what you're saying there, that the learning curve, depending on how quickly they come into it, they could adapt quickly, could uh, pick up on the defense fairly quickly. Yeah, well, if you look at the defense that T. Will is running, it's really only two linebackers out on the field. So really um, – and then with the D-line in front of them, the D-line that we have with, with the depth that we have on, on the D-line is going to kind of cover those guys up a little bit. So that may kind of help them out as far as like when it comes to learning what's going on. So I, I think these guys will be all right. And so I'm, uh, recognizing that you're much bigger than me. Uh, so I asked this question very nicely. Uh, the linebacker position, like you mentioned, UCF's only running two linebackers out there. A lot of schools are now doing a whole different uh, lineup and more defensive backs, more guys uh, to cover receivers. Is the linebacker position, as you know it, changing? Is is that going to be a position that kind of morphs into something completely different than what it was you're, when you played? You're going to have to be an athlete is what it what is really boiling down to because if you look at all the offenses like people want to put points up on the board so they're going to be trying to score and they're going to try to score fast so what does that do to the linebacker position it's not going to be the traditional sam mike and will no you're going to have more of a, a hybrid type uh linebacker out there somebody who can uh almost pass for a safety pass as a safety i mean but you're just gonna have to be a flat out athlete so you just gonna have to step the game up you were a tackling machine the years you were at UCF, 100 tackles almost every year. How much does that depend on the guys up front setting things up for you? The UCF defensive line is a lot more experienced than the linebackers. How much is that going to help out these young guys? Well, the defensive line is going to help out a lot <laughs> with, with these young guys. So it's going to uh, make – I think it's going to actually make it a little bit easier. When you have a good defensive line in front of you, it kind of covers you up for whatever – lack, wherever you're lacking. So. Uh, I think these guys are not going to have too much of a problem because of the dogs they got in front of them. So, What do you make of the transfer portal era now? Uh, Coach Malzahn announced on early signing day, 14 high school recruits, comes back, announces eight transfers uh, coming in through the portal, four on offense, four on defense. It's certainly a different era of college football. Yeah, it's a different era, which kind of makes it a little bit harder for uh, the high school kids. That, those are the guys that I feel for because most coaches are going to go to the transfer portal first. So what does that leave the, the the high school athlete? I say this, and I tell this to my son. I say, if you ever get to the process of uh, recruiting, I say, whatever decision you're going to make for school, you're going to have to make it fast because those spots are not going to be there like how it was for us where coaches are waiting for you. No, that time is that time is dead and gone. You got to make your decision to make it now and know where, know where it is that you want to go and pull the trigger then because 
that transfer portal is going to, that thing's going to be overloaded. And you're going to see a lot of guys in the transfer portal that get left out as well. So I say, whatever decision you make, you better make it and stick with it because <laughs> this transfer portal has changed the game. You mentioned a lot of guys being left out. About 30% of kids that entered the portal have landed on a, a new school. What position does your son play and, and what age is he? Well, he's he'll be 13 on Sunday, but he's he's an athlete. He plays everywhere. Um, and we're trying to figure – he wants to be a running back, but I told him uh, I think he'd be a great five-star corner, cornerback, but he wants to be a running back. So – We'll, we'll let him make whatever choice when we get across that bridge when we get there. We're yeah. just kind of molding him and shaping him up now. At 13, he's still got some time to decide on that. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, you're around young kids. Obviously, you're around kids who are, who are playing, uh, going to high school. Uh, what's the perception of UCF these days? I know you still live in state. You're still around a lot of programs. What What are young kids, high school kids saying about UCF? What's the perception oh, now? Man. And how has that changed from when you were there? Man, it's changed dramatically. Like, I was telling my wife, like, on this past Saturday, we were down at uh, DR7 with uh, Nine Figure Sports. That's the 7-on-7 seven seven team that I'm with. And um, that's who my son plays for. And uh, we have from 10U all the way up to 18U. And when we went down there and I saw all these UCF uh, shirts on, I'm like, I said, I told my wife, I said, uh, hey, remember what, it was a time you couldn't even find, people was asking where UCF was. And I was like, ain't that in uh, Tampa or somewhere? <laughs> and now it's like all these kids know about UCF and they're saying that this is where they want to go. It's almost like it, the sleeping giant has awakened. So it's, it's, it's like nine day compared to when I was coming up. We spoke to your teammate Rashad Genty this week on our podcast. He had a couple of funny stories uh, about Coach Gene Chizik. You remember mm-hmm. anything about Chizik getting in your guys' faces? He was a fiery guy. You remember oh. a time when he got in your face at practice or something? Uh, well, he never really got in my face personally because he always just called me C-ball. He yelled at me for going in the wrong direction, but I, he actually <laughs> created a defense <laughs> off of something that I did in the game. I think we played against Northern Illinois. And it was a blitz for the Sam, and I ended up blitzing the B-guy for something. And then he ended up naming a defense based off of some something that I did that was wrong, and he ended up <laughs> – he ended up turning it into a play. So he would get on us pretty good, though. But uh, he would always yell, yell, that's what I'm talking about, C-ball. Because he, he always called me C-ball. <laughs> that's pretty good. Was that a pretty good impression that you gave there? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Super Bowl this Sunday. Handicap it. Who do you got? I'm going with the Rams. I'm going with the Rams this Sunday. I think uh, if you can't guard Cooper Cup, because he he seems to pop open everywhere. Like that guy just gets he, – he's a little slippery little thing. And if, if they can't slow down that offense, I, uh, good luck, Bengals. Uh, Adam, I think you've got queued up that uh, – the play, of course, that made Joe Burrow uh, who he is today. Do you have that queued up? I you do. Let's, yeah, well, let's take a look at that play again. I don't know if anybody knows this, but the D-line's job is to hit, you know, get the quarterback no matter where he's at, no matter where he's on the field. One D-lineman needs to go get the quarterback. And when we do a stunt like that, if the ball's thrown to my side, I'm in charge of quarterback. So obviously when I saw the pick, I was looking for him and, you know, I found him. You know, were you able to see his soul leaving his body when you hit him? Like, what was that actual moment like? Uh, his eyes were closed and he was screaming. That's what I remember. <laughs> um, I thought he was knocked out. I mean, his eyes were closed. I thought I definitely knocked him out, but his eyes were definitely closed, and he was uh, screaming. 
That's a pretty good soundbite right there. Uh, it made Joe Burrow who he is. Do you like that? Uh, that UCF's probably going to get a little play all week from this. Oh, oh yeah. Hey, hey, Kyle, he uh, depleted uh, Burrow. <laughs> hey, he put him on his back. That it was dirty, but <laughs> but it, it, it is what it is. Welcome to football. You got to like the Rams' defense though in this one, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jalen Ramsey, um, that defensive line, they 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 get after it. So I'm I'm excited to see what's going to happen this Sunday. So I think it, I think I, I personally I told somebody I said, man, I think the Rams might blow them out, but hmm. I don't know. And so how would you like to be playing in this era of football right now? Right. You were, like Mike said, you were hundred tackles a year kind of guy. You are a hard hitter, but you said earlier, it's athleticism. It's covering receivers. Would you like to play defense in this era right now? To be honest, in this era right now, I'll probably be suspended from a lot of games <laughs> because I like I, I, the, the stuff that I, I, cause I was just getting after it. All, all it was, I was just hunting the ball and like, I was very aggressive and vicious so I, I think I probably would have been suspended half of the game. <laughs> I, I don't think I belonged in this era. <laughs> uh, you're a fan like us now. I know you've made it to a few games this year. I think you were sitting in the cabana for a game or two, right? What's mm -hmm. something you want to see improved as a for the game day experience as a fan in that cabana? As a fan, game day experience? I don't know, cause I my kids love it. Like we love everything about it. My kids get excited about coming to uh, UCF games. Even people that I brought with me to the game, they want to come back. So I can't say from my end that there's anything that needs to be improved. Cause every time my kids come or somebody that I bring, they always ask me, "Hey, when are we going back to that UCF game, man? That was the best game I ever been to in my life. Like I've never experienced anything like that." So people get excited when they come, and I tell people all the time. I say, uh, "Hey." If you want to see like a, a college football atmosphere, come to the bounce house. I say, boy, I say, I say it's like something you never experienced. I say you get in there and you just all of a sudden you just get caught up in the spirit of what's going on in there. So we enjoy it every time we come. Robert and Tara saying it well on screen. Antoine Poe, a great night. Also, Robert inviting you to the next Suns tailgate. Uh, let me tell you, I haven't been to those. Mike makes a pretty good potato salad. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to try that out. <laughs> If I make you mean I buy it at Publix. <laughs> all right, all right. Publix makes a pretty good potato salad. Antoine Poe, thank you so much for spending a few moments with us on the Sunday. Hey, I appreciate Live. it, man. I appreciate right. it. Thanks for having me. Thank you much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Great night on the screen. Good guest to have on and uh, uh, enjoyed listening to Antoine. Well, Trace, and you can hear more of Antoine. So a fun fact, Mike and I did like 96 shows before uh, that are no longer available on the Internet. One of them was How can it be Antoine. not available on the Internet, Adam? We'll do that in the after in the after show and the, the post game show. Uh, but after this 915 on the Sons of UCF YouTube channel exclusively, we're going to re-release the interview we did with Antoine Poe. And if you're not familiar with his story, he played a bunch of, uh, of games. He was, you know, had some some hard luck injuries, and he suffered a really um, almost career-ending catastrophic injury in, in uh, late in his career. And uh, it was a pretty harrowing experience. And he talks a lot about that in the interview. So 9:15, go to the YouTube channel, the exclusive interview with Antoine Poe. We will re-release that. It's not available anywhere else, so it'll be back out in the public. 9:15, don't miss it. Out of the vault. There's a lot in the vault, Trace. Mike and I, we've been going through the vault. There's a lot of stuff in there. Again, hit us on the post-game show. We'll talk all about that. Mm.
I think people want us to start running the uh, the post game, but that's got to go behind a paywall or something, right? That's, that's what's got to happen there. Uh, men's fun. basketball, uh, they get the win this week uh, against Wichita State, up 14 at the half, and Wichita tightened it in the second half. Knights now 6-6 six and six in the AAC, 14-8. It was a game in which Brandon Mayhem was, uh, was hitting some threes, 19 points. They've got the rescheduled game with Tulsa coming up on Monday night. Uh, reaction, uh, got to get a win, and and they they took care of the Shockers on Tuesday. Yeah, it was a good win. We've never beaten Wichita State, uh, so it was good to get that monkey off the back. Um, obviously, to your point, got a little tight down the end there, but UCF finished the game, and uh, and they've been struggling with that in a few games down the stretch, so to finish the game was, was good. I think we're in a position now where Mike and I talked about this on the show this week, Probably the at-large bid is is not in our cards. So what we're going to need to have to do is go on a pretty nice run here and get some momentum into the conference tournament and potentially win the conference tournament. Winning close games like this, finding ways to beat teams that you don't beat before can hopefully give you that momentum swing to get you build up as you go into the tournament. So I think bigger picture, maybe this gives them a springboard into the future, but it was good to get a good win. They held on a late start. I think that thing didn't end until late in the afternoon. Evening, so it was a late start the guys kind of woke up late so kudos on the win it was it was a nice one obviously it's been a Jekyll and Hyde season and this game was kind of a, a microcosm of all that a few winnable games still going on the schedule the one tough one obviously at Houston but we get Tulsa twice they've won one game in conference we got to sweep that series um, and we got to win every other game and from here on out in my opinion to the, the standings in the American is kind of jumbled up from that three to eight spot I mean, we can move up a couple of spots if we take care of business the next couple of weeks. And that would be important to do. SMU knocking off Houston last night in AAC play. After this win over Wichita, I asked uh, Coach Dawkins uh, how important it was to bounce back from the Memphis loss. And I thought his uh, answer was uh, curious. Mike, I want your reaction to part of that soundbite when we come out of it. Uh, you know, I was really proud of the way we responded, but I, but I wasn't surprised in how we responded. I knew, I mean, you don't know how the game is going to go today, but I knew our guys would come out and play, you know, play an inspired game. I, you know, they, they've never not done that. You know, they, you know, the Memphis loss was tough. I mean, but there were a lot of, you know, some things that we learned from that. Like you can, you know, sometimes you have to go backward to go forward. What do you think of that, Mike? Sometimes you got to go backward to go forward. We're very good at that. We've been very good at that this year. <laughs> See, that could, that could pay dividends now. That could pay dividends now. We're in the same spot where we started <laughs> at the beginning of the year, seems like. Um, he said we've never played an uninspired game. I don't know if I can agree with that. I said there's been a couple games this season that's been uninspired. But, you know, a, a win is a win. I will take ugly wins all day. And of a couple of these losses would have been ugly wins. This whole season might look completely different right now. Yeah, I, I I agree with your uninspired comment, and and I I think I understand what Coach Dawkins is saying. Is obviously sometimes it has to get ugly before it gets better, but we're not in a position in this time of the season where it can continue to be ugly to get better, right? That's a that's a really good December comment, right? That's a good November comment, but that's not a good early February comment. We don't want to get worse before we get better. At this point, that that arrow needs to be pointing upward. We should be peaking and trying to play our best ball. Taking steps backwards in, in early February in conference play is not going to be a recipe for success. Again, a great win, but I understand his, his commentary about the team was essentially resilient, I think is what he was trying to get at there, but not the time to be um, taking uh, steps back and steps forward. 
Yeah, and they've got to string together some wins. I don't know about uh, at Tulsa. You know, that's a house of horrors for UCF. Uh, but I think you're right there that that that'd be a series you do want to sweep. Let's bring in BJ Taylor to uh, to talk about this one. BJ, welcome in to Suns Live this Thursday. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Get the win over Wichita State. Brandon Mahan with 19, couple of guys in double digits. Uh, what do you think of? Uh, I don't know if you heard that or if you jumped on in time to hear. Coach uh, Dawkins saying, sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards. And, and we're talking about, and now you want to be playing your best ball down the stretch. Yeah, no, no, certainly. 20, 22 games in, you know, it, it's time to to get this thing cranking and going, right? Um, you, you definitely don't want to take too many more steps back. Um, so if, if it happens, it happens. But you def, you certainly don't want that to be the, the situation, right? So, you know, we, we saw the Memphis game and, and we saw how that went at Memphis. You know, we didn't shoot the ball very well. Um, and then you saw last night where we shot nearly 40% from three and, you know, changed the whole trajectory of this team. So, you know, moving forward, I think, you know, it's going to come down to shooting the ball from three and kind of that that big three that we have in, in, in Mahan and, and Perry and, and Darren Green Jr. BJ, the biggest play probably in that game was uh, the late uh, late game and one by Brandon Mahan on the inbound. I assume that's not a called play by Coach Dawkins. So how did how did Brandon get open on that play? What did you see and what does that say about his connection with Darius Perry to, to find him for that late layup? Yeah, so so Brandon kind of came off a screen, came from like the top of the key area, came around to the corner to the top top of the key. And, you know, as his defender, you know, you're thinking like, okay, I took away the initial part of the action. I've got him. I took away his corner three ball that that he might have wanted to shoot. So your defender kind of relaxes a little bit, gets lazy. And it was a really good job by Brandon, um, you know, of extending the play, right? It's kind of similar to football. You know, when you see those, those quarterbacks get out of the pocket and then all of a sudden the receiver, you know, he goes from running a streak down the field and he just turns it, you know, and comes back to the ball and gets open right it's, it's pretty impossible for for a defender to guard because you just you know you kind of relax for a little bit so it was a great effort by Brandon to kind of take that second effort and make a second play right you know so I, I really like that play by him um like you said it was a huge play in the game and, and it kind of you know we need more of that kind of stuff right we need more of again like I talked about last week where the players have to take ownership and the players have to be the ones to go out there and play right like a coach can't draw that up the coach can draw up the initial action for you to go to the corner get the three-point look but if your defender guards it it's on the player to say okay well now we're playing pickup backyard basketball right I'm gonna go cut off and give me a look at the rim so really big play by Brandon and moving forward being a senior veteran we need more of those kind of um uh, I, the words slip in my mind, but we need more of those kind of creative plays. We might have got away with one on that one. I think Mahan actually went out of bounds before he came back in, was the first one to touch the ball. The people in Wichita are kind of uh, talking about that this morning. Uh, no big deal, obviously, right? Do, 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 so would you like to petition the NCAA? We got away with I'm taking it. I'm taking it. But actually, I'm, actually, Mike, uh, UCF did get away with one. The uh, Mike Eads, the AAC coordinator of men's basketball officiating, uh, said that that was a mistake uh, on that uh, okay. play with 26 seconds to go. So uh, according to Mike, we just give it back to him. All right, well, we got, we got, <laughs> no, got no. Gene's territory right here, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving it back. I'm sure there's been plenty of times where we've gotten the short end of the stick, too. So, But, BJ, this team is like two different teams, one team at home and then one team on the road. Uh, is there something we need to change up in the routine when we go on these road trips, maybe to just mix things up a little bit or just keep going the way we go? 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you're seeing is we shoot the ball much better at home, right? Like I said, Memphis, we were seven from 33 from the three-point line, 21%. And at home against Wichita the other night, team shoots 11 of 29. And, I mean, yeah, 11 of 29 shoots 38%, right? So, I mean, literally at home, we made more threes and attempted less threes. So that's, you know, that's not usually how it works. You attempt more, usually you make more, right? So I think for us moving forward, we've got to figure out a way to just continue to try to get that three ball going, right? You know, that's, that's sort of the identity of this team, right? When, when this team makes double digit threes, over 10 threes a game, oftentimes this team comes out with a win. And you see on the road, it's, it's a lot harder to make those shots, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, whether it's the crowd, whether it's noise, whether it's the, the the atmosphere, whether it's not being at addition financial, for whatever reason, not shooting the ball as well on the road. So, you know, hopefully we get a swing here where we get some 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 chances to, you know, kind of correct that. I know we have at Houston coming up, which is always going to be a tough environment. And then they finish out in Tulsa and, and Tulane. So hopefully we can get some momentum going into conference tournament, right, and, and get some confidence making shots, you know, away from home. It seems to me, though, a big if that they're going to hit those threes. They're going to hit those threes sometimes. But what happens when they don't hit those threes? They keep still firing them. If you were the coach here, what would you diversify? What would you change up when those buckets are not falling from three? Yeah, yeah, no. So you kind of broke up a little bit there, Trace. But I think I got most of your question. You were saying if if the team isn't making threes, then what what can we change to sort of get that going right and I mean ideally you know you want to have a balanced team right you want to have a team where you don't have to just rely on shooting the ball from deep you can go inside in the post or you have guards that are good drivers finishing at the rim creating for others right but the kind of makeup of this team that we have this year is 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 a three-point shooting team you know I mean obviously Darren Green is an exceptional shooter when Brandon scores the majority of his points, it usually comes off shooting jump shots, you know, contested three-pointers. And and Darius Perry, though he can get downhill at times and get to the rim, you know, it's, it's just really more so of a, of a three-point shooting team, Trace. So, you know, you're, you're kind of going to see that, you know, up and down a little bit just because no matter who you are, even if you're in the NBA and your team relies so heavily on three-point shooting, you saw it with the Houston Rockets probably three or four years ago and they went like two for 30 or whatever in the playoffs because they couldn't make a three, right? But that was kind of the makeup of their team. That was the style of the game and that was the way that they played. So for our guys, you know, we just really have to try to get the best looks possible from deep. We have to, you know, continue to try to not just take bad threes, but you want to take good threes and, and hopefully that helps the percentages. BJ, I would say a tough loss uh, at Memphis, right? Uh, the ball just not go our way. We we got we got beat pretty handily. But the good news is we turn around, we win against Wichita, right? As a player, how hard is it to shake off a loss like Memphis, right? Where you you just know you didn't play well. It just didn't turn in your favor. How how hard is it to shake off that kind of loss and get yourself ready for the next one? Yeah. So so believe it or not, usually as a player in a in a blowout loss like that. It's a lot of times it's easier to turn the page, Adam. And a lot of times, if it's not something that happens often, like if you get blown out all the time, then, you know, it's a problem. But if you lose like one game like that, you lose 90 to 60 or whatever we lost, you know, you're kind of like, you just flush it, 
We got to flush it because we got beat so bad. A lot of times, Adam, it's the games that come down to like the last few possessions that you lose, right? And if that turns into a trend, if that turns into something that your team does consistently where maybe it was a two-point game with two minutes to go and then we lost it, all right? And then we come back next week and we're up three with a minute and 30 to go and we lose it. Now it's starting to get in your head, right? Now you start to feel like a little bit hurt. Like what, how, why do we always lose close games? But when you lose a game the way we did at Memphis, I think the biggest thing is you're like, well, it wasn't close. They blew us out. We got to flush it. We got to learn what we're supposed to take from it and move forward, right? So for our guys, you know, going into the Wichita game, being back at home, you know, I, I think they came out and, you know, they came out with the right attitude. And the biggest thing for this team is they need to put together some sort of consistency, right? We're, like we've talked about the majority of the show tonight. I mean, we've seen this sort of roller coaster deal, you know, win one, lose two, win two, lose one, you know, this thing back and forth, right? You want to see this team put together some consistency. And even if it doesn't result in wins, because, you know, we have a tough, you know, you have Tulsa coming up, but then you have at Houston, right? You want to see this team play consistently good basketball moving forward. PJ, I have a dumb question for you, which is uh, saying a lot because we've asked you a lot of dumb questions on the show. Yeah. Memphis has the blue colored basketball court. You guys, obviously, when you played there, you had that quasi blacktop. This is there anything about the blue colored court that takes a while to adjust to as a player, or is that just me being a dumb fan thing and there's a distraction there? No, I think from the from the TV's perspective. So I watch the game obviously from home as well. And from the TV, it's just it's just not very appealing to the eye. Maybe it takes a while to get used to. I'm not sure if Memphis was trying to be the Boise State of the American or whatever they're trying to do with that court, you know. But as a player, I mean, once you start going up and down, you don't really pay that much attention to it. So. You know, I wish I could say that's what it was, Adam. Like, you know, hey, man, that blue court is tough to play on. You know, your, your eyes don't, you know, you have to be used to the blue court. Your eyes can get a little messed up, right? You have to wear contacts. I wish I could tell you anything like that. But, you know, I, mean, I think from home, it's definitely not as aesthetically pleasing, I think, as Memphis may have hoped. But, I mean, if they want to roll with the, the Boise State of basketball, then go right ahead. <laughs> Adam and I have asked each other this question all season. I still don't know if we have a real answer to it. But who's the guy on this team you want to have the ball game on the line? It does not necessarily have to be the leader of the team, but who's the guy you have most confidence in to take that winning shot? Yeah, right. No, and that's kind of what we've discussed, you know, in terms of taking, you know, close games home. And even when the game starts to get away from us, you know, we can't – we don't really have a singular guy right now, right, Mike, you know, that we're like, we're going to give the ball to this guy, we're going to put it in his hands, you know, and we're going to we're gonna sort of, you know, run things around him to even get us back in the game. You'll see us fall down by seven or eight, and we kind of have to, you know, see who's got it going, whether it's Mayhan, whether it's DG, whether it's Darius Perry, you know, we have to kind of find that. So I think to answer your question, I I think you've got to, you know, you have to hope that Brandon Mahan is playing well that night because he's what he's the guy who does the best job of creating his shot off the dribble, you know, and kind of making those difficult shots. Obviously, you want to get Darren Green a look because he's one of the best shooters in the conference. But, you know, Darren, it takes a little more scheme. It takes a little more schematic and it takes a little bit more of the defense sort of making a mistake to get him open looks because he's not a guy you can just put the ball in his in his hands and just sort of say you know hey man you know take us home right you know when I played obviously at UCF you know I was that guy for us like we're gonna put the ball in BJ's hands you know to close the game out or if we fall down by seven or eight we're just gonna run ball screen for BJ and we're gonna you know create from there you know and, and to be a really really good team in college basketball you know you need a guy like that you need someone who can put the ball in his hands and you know kind of say hey man if we're down you can get us back in it and if we're up you know you can close it out for us so I think you've got to 
to look to, you know, Brandon Mahan in, in certain situations if he's playing, you know, well that night. If you if you can run a few sets to get Darren Green a look, um, I, I think those are probably your main two guys, you know, because Darius Perry has the ball so much already. I don't think that, you know, you really want to, like, add that to his plate as well, with, you know, with, with how he's been playing. So I think Darren Green and Brandon Mahan are probably your best bet, Mike. Usually we come out of your segment and talk about women's basketball. I want to mention it to you. Behind a team-high 19 points from Diamond Battles, the women move to 9-1 and one in the AAC, 17-3 and three overall. They hold Houston to 44 points, a 54-44 win. They continue to show stout defense, and there are some players between Diamond and Masanikaba, AAC Player of the Week, that just lock in and have an intensity out on that court. Yeah, for any of the, the viewers who haven't watched the UCF women's basketball team play, if you're looking for passion, if you're looking for a, a competitive team who's going to give it all they got, Coach Abe's ball club is the team for you to watch, and especially, and that's in all of women's college basketball. Nobody plays harder than them, and from my experiences when I was there, nobody practices harder than them. I mean, they they are energy, they are they are yelling, they are screaming, they're diving on the floor, loose balls, all of that. Forty minutes the entire game, so you got to give a lot of you know respect and credit to those girls because unlike men's basketball, where you know we get pretty good turnouts for every game. I mean, they don't they don't get a huge turnout, right? They don't get a lot of fans in the gym every night. And those girls and, well, the women, those women go out there and, and, and you know, create that energy for themselves in the gym. And the few fans that and the fans that do show up to support them, they give them all that they have out there on that floor. So you got to give a lot of love and props to the women's basketball team. And hopefully they can, you know, get in, in the Women's March Madness and, and hopefully they can, you know, win a conference title here, you know, with, you know, UConn out of the league, they have a chance now. How's skills training going? What do you got going on there? It's going good. So I'm doing skills training um, as well. Still doing that. Uh, stay on the lookout for me at uh, the home game Monday night versus Tulsa. I might be on the call for, for ESPN Plus. So keep a lookout. Ooh, for oh, yep, yep. Really? Right, guys, just keep a lookout. All right. Don't. All right. I know I just said it. Just keep a lookout. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Somehow I can hear Mike saying on the podcast this week that uh, you got your launch right here and, and he helped make you all the jar. <laughs> I can hear him taking some credit for that. Well, who, you got, who you got in the Super Bowl on Sunday? Yeah, so I'm going with the Rams. It's been odd because the Bengals have been this Cinderella story, you know, kind of from two years ago, going from worst to first. And a lot of people have kind of got behind the the Bengals now. And a lot of people are choosing them as the favorite when they're obviously not the better team. But me, I'm going with the Rams. I think the Rams defensive line, like I've been saying for weeks, is too much. Aaron Donald, Von Miller. I think Matthew Stafford, if he shows up and plays a, a, just an average game, Mike, I'm just asking for an average game, fellas. <laughs> Plays an average game, you know, doesn't turn the ball over. I think the Rams will come out on top. But I would love to see, you know, Joe Burrow get his, you know, his first Super Bowl as a as a young player. But I, I've got to roll with the Rams in this one. I think I think they have a little more maturity. Robert, what about the halftime show? Who are you looking forward to most? Snoop, Dre, Eminem. Who's your guy? I mean, you can't go wrong with any of those three, Mike. I mean, Snoop, Dre, and Eminem. I mean, that's like Adam, Trace, and Mike. I mean, you can't, <laughs> you can't go wrong. Good one. Can't go wrong. Adam, uh, rack that one up for the promo reel. Done. That's it right there. Yeah, yeah. Robert just said, greatness, BJ, on the call Monday, and no doubt maybe mugging for the kiss cam on Valentine's night at the arena. BJ, good luck with that if it happens. And, uh, you know, remember, you, you know everything you know because of Mike. Hey, Mike, you know, I'm not going to go that far, but I love you. <laughs> All right. BJ, thanks for joining thanks, us BJ. this week. All right. Uh, that's good. Good for him. 
uh, he's uh, he's got an ease in front of the, the camera and the mic. So glad to hear that for him. Uh, men on Monday with that rescheduled game at Tulsa. Women have a big one on the road at Tampa Saturday. Some more on I-4 points are up for grabs in that one. Then they have Wichita State Wednesday. They got a little separation between them and the Cows. This could really clinch the American for, uh, for the night. So uh, you know that's going to be a tight one over in Tampa. Softball isn't a tight one. 6-6 as they go to the seventh with uh, – uh, ranked Georgia team. So uh, Knights have a big opening weekend. Had opportunity. You could find that little tease here. Uh, YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Sons of UCF Whoa. YouTube channel. That's where my one-on-one -on -one with Coach Cindy Ball Malone learned more about the 2022 Knights. And also had opportunity to speak with the starting pitcher from tonight's game, Gianna Mancha, on what she hopes that she'll focus in on, on 2022. A lot of big teams in the schedule that we have. And so, you know, learning to deal with you know, some situations that um, might not be the best for me or for the team um, in terms of, you know, maybe we get a couple of losses or just some failures that we're going to go through throughout the season. So just staying composed and keeping our confidence up and knowing that, you know, we just the process that we've been through and the preparation that we've had this entire time and keep going with that. Home games with Minnesota, Fresno State, Longwood, and Liberty coming up. Packed weekend out at the Plex. And again, 6-6. It's been back and forth with Georgia on ESPN Plus tonight. A couple of kudos to uh, first uh, women's tennis player of the week, Noelle Sadan. And I'm the one that wrote it. And I'm the one that wrote it. I can't say it. Sadanova. How about that? Good? That's what, I was gonna, that's what I was going to say. And Renaya Jones, back-to-back -back AAC track athlete of the week. Let's open up the mailbag. Any video questions? Any walk and talks? No, Any none. Sit and spins? No <laughs> videos. No sitting. That's another show. No, 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 no questions uh, for the video mailbag this week. Yeah. See, Mike, that could be your breakout thing. You could do a little sit and spin tease. That's because uh, Mike needs a breakout. That's all. Yeah, that could be his breakout. Our buddy uh, Christian Simmons at Uniform Guru. Really good question. Does the same quarterback start the season opener and the season finale? I'm going to go no, Trace. I did some crack research here. In the last yeah. six years, four of the six seasons, that did not happen. In 16, it did not happen. In 18, it did not happen. In 19, and 21. So I'm going to go. I'm going to play the numbers here. I'm going to go with a no. Although I have no idea who those people will be. I'm going to go with a no. Yeah, I wanted to say no to one for injuries, two, because we don't even know who the starting quarterback is right now to start the year. So it could be any one of these guys, maybe one of these freshmen come in. Castellanos we've seen mentioned. It wouldn't be the first time a true freshman came in and took some playing time. Are you a fan of the uh, two-quarterback team? Because you could see an argument there for Mikey Keene and the use of John Rice Plumley. I'm not personally. I think, especially at quarterback, it's a rhythm thing, right? So if you get somebody in a rhythm, and we saw this a ton this year. I mean, the, the Joey Gatewood get out of the game, guys, please raise your hand because we saw that a bunch this year. We felt like we were in a rhythm and you break that rhythm. So I, I would prefer not to do it. If you want to do it like in series, maybe. But I think if a guy gets in a rhythm, gets the hot hand, I think you, you ride who that person is. So I, I'd prefer as pick one and that kind of be our guy. If you need one play, I, I heard Parker Navarro has feet. So if you need his feet at some He's point, maybe bring those in. But He's a guy. I, I don't I don't want to keep rotating and figuring out some series to series who's going to play. Yeah, I don't really like it either. Um, I, I, it works once every 10 years. Like the, It worked with the Gators with Tebow and Chris Leak. But you don't really see it working too too often anywhere else. You know, Usually they say you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. So uh, I say pick a guy, stick with him. 
Uh, if you want to run a gimmick every once in a while with a running quarterback, okay, like around the goal line. But other than that, I don't like it. But John Rice Plumley's not coming here to watch, right? So they're going to use him in the offense, and it's going to be more than just the Joey Gatewood play. Is you know whether that means he's the starter. Uh, Nightalorian, our buddy the Nightalorian, asked, "How many quarterbacks in a quarterback room is too few, too many? Just right." I don't know how many quarterbacks we have in that quarterback room. <laughs> I've, got I've, got, I've got five. I've got, you need a starter. You need a capable backup. You need a change of pace guy. You need a young guy. And you need a walk-on guy to wear the green jersey. So I got five. <laughs> you need three guys that are able to go out there where the team is not going to lose a step if the other two guys come in. Anything more than that, you're just asking for too much, I think. You got to be like Alabama if you want to have four or five guys that are come in and be superstars. We need a guy that can start, two guys that are capable to come in and keep the ship moving if something happens. Ship moving. That was ship. 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 <laughs> ship. Read, reading lips. Uh, at Austin Hef, who will be RB2 next season? And why? And at UCF underscore weekly said, and, and why is the answer to that, Mark Anthony Richardson? I say, don't sleep on RJ Harvey. I know we haven't seen much of him, but I like him emerging. This feels like a trick question because – you also have to take into account situation because I think Johnny Richardson brings a completely different style of play. Maybe that's a third down back. Maybe it's a, a second and nine. You want to run a screen pass. So I, I think this is a bit of a trick question. If the question is simply the first running back goes down and maybe that's Bowser and who comes in to take those carries. I think Mark Anthony Richards is probably the head and shoulders leader of that right now. I know RJ Harvey played well in spring game, but we forget there was no Mark Anthony Richards at that point. Bowser, I don't think was ready to play in spring game. So the carries had to go to somebody. So I'm not saying RJ wouldn't be the guy, but I think it is probably Mar has the upper hand right now. But I think it's a trick question depending upon if it's a situational type of play. Yeah, we all agree Bowser is the one. I think Johnny's a great compliment to him, his speed to Bowser's power. If something were to happen to Bowser, I think you replace him with another big guy like that. Don't count out Jordan McDonald. I can't wait to see that guy play. He seems like a big, powerful guy who can also take it the distance himself. Knowing the injury uh, past that Isaiah Bowser's had, what would you think is the ideal number of touches for him in a game? You don't want him to exceed 20, and you know he had games where he did exceed 20 and was just – a bruiser, but you got to think that they don't want him carrying the ball that many times, right? He exceeded 30 in, in a couple of games, I think, right? Um, yeah, I don't think they want him to. I think he might want to to prove his durability because obviously that's the probably the knock that he needs to most worry about as, in terms of his pro potential. But I think if you get him in that 20 to 25 sweet spot, and then you, you peel off some carries, 10 for Mark Anthony and four or five for Johnny, whatever that split is. So give me someone that's 20, 25 range. It also depends if we're winning, Trace, if we're winning and we have to hand him the ball so he can just fall forward for a couple of yards and keep the clock moving. I think those are different kind of carries. So it really depends, I guess, on situation. But give me 20 to 25. It's a tricky situation because you don't want to beat him up, but he also is a guy that gets better as the game goes along. Yeah. He's better carries 20 through 30 than he was carries one through 10. So – in games where we're blowing guys out, a Bethune-Cookman game or one of these season opening games, you got to get him out of there at halftime and just save him for these tough ones at the end where you're going to need him to grind out a win. At UCF underscore blue 626, who amongst the running backs, quarterbacks, and DBs will be moved to linebacker in 2022? He says, trick question, because any athlete good enough to successfully switch 
will hit the portal before agreeing to a switch. But we keep talking about Joey Gatewood maybe as a tight end. And back to the question about how many quarterbacks or too many quarterbacks in the quarterback room, that one may be somebody we could move to another position. I didn't see a whole lot of fluidity in Joey Gatewood that would lead me to think he's going to be good in open space tackling somebody. Uh, you're probably looking at somebody like a DB. I don't know if Dylan Lester has any eligibility left. I'm not sure if he graduated or if he's coming back. I think he's a bigger guy who can who can probably hit somebody. Um, but I don't I don't maybe a running back. I, I know we have Anthony Williams. He was a freshman this year. Uh, he's a he's a big kid out of Orlando. I think Lake Brantley. I don't know his size, but maybe maybe somebody along those lines. But I wouldn't think we're in a position where we're going to do a lot of position switching because I, I, I'm i pretty sure the transfer portal door will go wide open after that. Yeah, if you talk about moving a guy to linebacker, it's got to be one of the running backs. You need somebody with power. We just spoke to one earlier. Antoine Poe told us he played running back in high school. Remember a guy named Jonathan Davis was a good, very good running back, moved him to linebacker. He could hit some people back there, too. I, that's going to be the position you look at, and that's the position that we're most loaded at. So if anybody has to move, it's got to be one of those running backs. At Grahalis Debbie on Twitter, who do you think makes the NFL? I still like Kalia Davis uh, as getting that shot. Define makes the NFL. Um, on a 53-man roster at the, end, at the start of the season, gets an invite to a, uh, a, a training camp of some sort or some sort of a mini camp. I believe I, mean, I you- asked her for clarification, and I think she said drafted. Uh, Kalia Day was probably the best option, maybe a big cat flyer in the late rounds every year. I mean, we can all just go through the list right now. There will be a, a UCF night invited to Jaguars minicamp. So just pick <laughs> whatever one you want at this point. Um, but in terms of making a roster or draft it, Kalia, but again, coming off a knee injury like that, I mean, obviously some teams are probably going to be a bit hesitant as they look at his medicals. You would think big cat may have some name recognition, um, maybe he sticks with somebody, but outside of that, I, th- I think it's pretty slim pickings, unfortunately. Yeah, it's not going to be as like it was last year when we had what seven guys go to the NFL. This speaks to the recruiting that Josh Heupel did while he was here. Now, this is these are his classes, the guys that are upperclassmen, and there's not too many to pick from that you think are going to go to the next level. As Coach Malzahn said, you can never have enough quality depth uh, at Golden Knight underscore the second. Which sports team will have a better season, women's basketball, softball, or baseball? Still think it's women's basketball, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's it's probably basketball, softball, baseball in that order. Um, I mean, the softball yeah. program obviously has, has been on a good run these last couple of years. Uh, no reason to think they can't at least continue to make some noise there. Basketball, like we talked about, they're certainly a, a team that probably criminally is not in the top 25. I'm not sure if there's some sort of a, a sweeping investigation coming soon, but we've got to figure that one out. Uh, and really, that just leaves Greg Lovelady and uh, and his his warming seat. But I know Mike doesn't want to fire the seat up yet, but it's a little... Mike always has a seat on warm Basketball, girls, women's basketball is the easy answer right now. They're already almost done with the season, and we know that they're doing great. Baseball is a surprise. Baseball is one of those where you come into the season, you don't think much is going to happen, and they end up having a good year. And then the years you think they're going to do well, they, they go in the tank. Last year was not a good year. The year before, we were very good. We were starting out 15-3 and three before the, the season got canceled with COVID. Who knows where that season would have went? But you never know. We could be a deuce for a surprise. And baseball is a lot about getting confidence, getting on a roll, getting hot, and the pitchers stay hot, then anything can happen. Rapid fire from Oreo Speedwagon with a great Twitter handle. Fire Dawkins, yes or no? Big no. Maybe. 
It's a yes or no. It's a yes or no. I, I, I told you all year. I mean, he he has a chance though. You win the conference tournament, you get to the tournament. I'm not firing. At nine eleven underscore black underscore gold, what has to happen for fans and donors to actually invest in men's basketball? Not just call for a coach to be fired when this underfunded program inevitably doesn't improve. And I'm one hundred percent behind that. You can keep changing coaches; it doesn't change the support. In my mind, only two, well, not only, I guess two things have to happen. You either need to win and garner a bunch of support and a bunch of uh, momentum forward, or there has to be a bit of a coaching change a la August Malzahn comes in and everyone gets all fired up. I'm not saying that's what I want to happen, but I think those are two scenarios where you'll start to see people get a little more galvanized around the program. The reality is we're in that like purgatory. I'll use the NFL as an example. We're in that eight and eight every year purgatory, right? Where you're not making, you're barely missing the playoffs or you're barely making the playoffs, but you're not getting the first draft pick, but you're not going to the Super Bowl. You're just kind of existing in that middle ground. I think that's just going to breed apathy, which is where the program's at. So you either need to start winning big and that's when people come out or there has to be some sort of an excitable change that people want to get behind and start throwing dollars at. I think those are probably the best, the best two scenarios if you want to have people begin to open their wallets to support the program. I would just argue that they didn't really sell out the joint during the BJ Taylor taco fall 2019 run. So they weren't selling out then either. Um, Yeah. But that team didn't get hot until the end of the year when they beat Houston and Cincinnati late. And and let's not act like we sell out every football game either. There's plenty of games this year that were not sold out. What really needs to happen is this fan base needs to get older and make more money. And that's what it is right now. We're a very young fan base and people are not the the average fan is what 35, 36 years old. They have two young kids at home. They, They can't make it to all these games. The older we get, the more money these people start making, then they start investing more. At Deportes Man 85, who is a UCF athlete Night Nation does not talk enough about? Diamond Battles. Put me down for Diamond Battles. Renaya Jones. Hmm. Could be an Olympic gold medalist one day. Good one. Good one. Tom Jostin. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. But, you know, he's got some pop in his bat. Uh, did some interviews at uh, Baseball Media Day that I'll be throwing up on my Twitter handle, and we're a little over a week away from the, the night's home opener against Sienna. Mike, do you remember Sienna's nickname? No. Saints? Saints. St. Bernard's. Saints. Uh, and some. do we have a breaking news sounder? Could we get one of those? Because apparently, Mike, you shook up Twitter world this week at Brian W. Peterson. Now that UCF Mike has finally followed me on Twitter – have I peaked in life? Surely it must all be downhill. You went on some sort of flurry where you started following people and they were like, he didn't follow me before. And then they were kind of <laughs> insulted and then they were glad and everybody's happy that you're following them. Yeah. I, for the longest time, I didn't follow anybody. I followed basically the people that reported on UCF. I think I was only following like 50 people. And I bumped that thing up to like 450. I, I followed about 400 people in about 10 minutes. And, um, you know, it's made it's made my timeline a little more interesting. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Because you were getting a lot of L.A. Dodger news from Juan Toribio. <laughs> so, so suddenly it was fair. Wow. Yeah. That's fair. I just brought Brian is – are we calling this uphill? So if you're asking if that means you're going downhill, do you see if Mike follow is that's uphill for that you? Is the gold we should standard. talk. We should talk after the show. That is a blue check mark if I've ever heard one, just to get <laughs> exactly. the UCF Mike follow. Uh, we had Antoine Poe, who again, soft plug here, you're gonna release uh, the out of the vault YouTube yeah. interview on the Sons of UCF YouTube channel, but a good one this week on the pod as well. 
Yeah, I stopped doing this a long time ago, and shame on me. I should I should bring these back, but um, I actually have a clip from the interview with uh, Rashad Genty this week, who played at UCF in the uh, the I guess the, the late uh, early two thousand era, and um, he had a really interesting story, and he, he was very candid in his answer about his time at UCF, and th- this one just really resonated. And I got a handful of messages. I don't know if Mike, if you got any from people saying that the the way he talked openly about. Uh, what he went through and kind of his uh, his his end at UCF was kind of touching. So I, I want to bring that clip back. So here's here's Rashad from episode 168. I lost my cards that was dealt to me. You know what I mean? I didn't take advantage of a free scholarship, a free education. You know, as far as school wise, and and that's what happened. You know what I mean? I flunked out of school, and hopefully, if any kids uh, may be listening to this podcast. You know, don't be afraid to ask for help because that was my that was my pitfall. I was afraid to ask for help. More insights from Rashad Genty. That was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, someone that you don't immediately think of, and and I like that you bring guys back that we uh, we don't automatically think of as as podcast guests. Yeah, former Cincinnati Bengal too, so he's rooting for his Bengals. But I, I just the openness and honesty in, the, in that whole conversation. He talks a lot. He tells some fun stories. He got cursed out by a, a coach at, a, at a, a rival school, which I think is funny. But I know, Mike, I enjoyed it. I know you did as well. Yeah, I always love talking to the guys that were there when we were there. We had some of the same experiences around campus and stuff like that. And this guy went on to the NFL, had a pretty nice career in the NFL, so it was good to catch up with Rashad. Yeah, as we did catch up with Antoine Poe earlier, and we thank B.J. Taylor for stopping by. Extra innings, softball out at the Plex. Georgia and the Knights go extras, 6-6, heading on into extras. Of course, a full weekend of softball, and we'll bring you more both on the pod. And don't forget, subscribe to the Suns YouTube channel. And and now we will fade out. Mike, you want to spin? I was just going to. On a little spin. Adam, do you spin? I could, but who's going to hit the button if I spin? I'm, I'm literally the one that has to end the show. Can I go that I'm going to do that now, though. Seems like a good time right now. I don't know why else. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.